Welcome to the podcast of Dr. Norman Thomas. These teachings are designed to empower you to live a higher quality of life. Take a few minutes to receive a deposit of godly wisdom for your day. For more information and more extended teachings from Dr. Thomas, visit normanthomas.org. All right, so now let's just get into this. In the book of Psalms 27 in verse 13, this is a good church to take notes in and to reflect back on those notes later. Um, You know, if you're struggling with finding time uh, in the word during the week, most of that is because you don't have a base of reference. Uh, but being able to take notes provides a base of reference for you to go back to the Word during the week instead of just kind of trying, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to read. So that's half people's problem with spending time in the Word is having a base of reference to go to. So in a church like this where you're taught, you have opportunity to gather uh, all kinds of reference bases, you know, that you can go back to. If you want to even put it down Monday, I'm going to go back and look at this. Tuesday, I'm going to go back and look at this. And just do it. It's a very simple approach, but it's a way to develop a pattern uh, for yourself to just making sure you eat a little word every day. Amen? Amen? Get your mind right before you go to work. Amen. Amen. <laughs> All right, so the book of Psalms 27 and verse 13 is our foundational text for this study. And it says, I had fainted unless I'd believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And basically what he's saying is, man, if I didn't have the goodness of God to look forward to, I quit. That's basically what he's saying. If I didn't have the goodness of God to look forward to, I would just flat quit. Now, the NIV The New International Reader's Version says it this way. Here's something I'm still sure of. I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm still alive. That's just an awesome confession. To be able to say the word over your life. I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm still alive. Let's say that together. I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm still alive. Amen. I want to give you three keys for operating in the goodness of God. They're very simple. Number one, developing capacity to believe. If you don't believe it, it won't work for you. So only those that believe enter into what the Bible refers to as the rest of God, R-E-S-T. His rest. And God's goodness is a part of that rest. Uh, Many people need rest. And rest is that place of retreat from all the chaos of life. All the hostility of life. And that is only found in God. Now there are people that try other ways to get that through all kinds of mechanisms and all kinds of practices and so forth. And those things may be physiologically good and psychologically good. But for permanent peace, for permanent peace for the soul, permanent peace for the spirit can only come from one place. And that comes from God who created the spirit man like himself. So he's the only one that knows how to minister to that part of you. Okay. So 
so this thing of receiving rest has to be something that is believed upon. All right. In Hebrews chapter four and verse three, there's a scripture I want to show you because it talks about the rest of God. It says, now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. They shall enter. They shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. Uh, put that in the King James, please, for me. It says, for, he, for we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I've sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundations of the world. In other words, the works of Christ was finished from before the foundations of the world. But Jesus had to deal with a stiff-necked people. A stiff-necked people is a people that don't believe. A stiff-necked people are people who, who, who poses their own ideas in front of God's ideas, who pushes forward their own plans instead of God's plans for their life. But God says, if you will believe, then you will enter into my rest. Didn't Jesus say that if you will take my yoke, that my yoke is easy? Did he say that my burden is light? So when we come into this life of Christ... There is a responsibility, but it's, it, it brings you into peace. It brings you into rest. And this goodness of God is a part of that rest that you enter into, just knowing that God is good to me, that he's good toward me, and I receive that. So just because you know that don't mean you believe it. And just because you agree with it doesn't mean you believe it. The only way to believe it is to get it into your system and get it into what we call a belief system to change the way you think about it, and then your believing will happen. One way to know that you've arrived at believing is when you speak without any, when, you, when it just come out. Right. You know how like a cuss word just come out? <laughs> you know, the reason that cuss word come out is because it's, it's in there. So when this right thing is in there, it'll just come out. And that's when you know you believe. Go ahead and give the Lord praise for that right there. So operating in the goodness of God happens through building a capacity to believe, practicing believing this thing. Number two, embracing his love for you. Just embracing it. You don't have to understand it. I don't know that you'll ever understand it. I don't know that you'll ever be able to logically, intellectually process his love. You know, I know we sing the songs and all that, but, you know, his love for you is so, is so profound. It's not even meant for the mind to be wrapped around it. Okay? One element, one way that I can tell, one way that, it, that it's, it's evident that most of the church do not understand his love for them is because we're always trying to express our love for him. But until you receive his love for you, you can't properly love him. Because your love is coming from a base of 
human idea of love. But when you receive his love for you, then you can properly love him and everybody else and everybody else. So in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10, you know, he defines love. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10, he defines love. And he says, herein is the love of God. We love him because he first loved us. Is that it right there? Verse 10. If a man say, I love God, and he hates his brother, he's a liar. For he that loves not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he's never seen? Go to uh, verse, let's start at 17, see what happens. 16. Let's start at 16, see what happens. And we know, and we have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love, and he that dwells in love does what? Dwells in God, and what? And God dwells in him. Herein is, is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. And there's no fear. Okay. For some reason, that's not quite the scripture I was looking for. Uh, verse 10. All right. Go to verse. They said verse 10. Go to verse. There it is. That's it right there. Oh, that's what's on my handout. Is that where we started? That's not what they put up there, though. That's not what you put up there. All right. I thought I mean, I just, okay. Herein is love. Not that we love God, right? But what? That he loved us. What's he saying? Here is love. Not your love for God, but his love for you. This is love. In other words, he's saying this is where your idea of God's love began. Not from the basis of how much you love God, but from the basis of how much God loves you. Because if you began from the basis of how much you love God, your love for God would be tainted. Okay? Because you're building it from the basis of your own human idea of love. And every human idea of love at its best comes with conditions. But not the love of God. Okay? It is totally unconditional. And it's pre-decided. So for everyone in this room, God has pre-decided to love you. And you can't do nothing about that. Okay? He has pre-decided to love you. But Lord, I'm a mess. He don't care. But, 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 I, but last night, it don't make no difference. That doesn't change. Now, it'll mess with your life. I mean, your behavior can mess up your life. But your behavior cannot mess up God's love for you. That will never change. You're not that big. You can't change God's idea and his perception of you. Okay? He's already decided how he thinks about you. And it's love. And Jesus is a... Is, is it just a demonstration of, of what he thinks about you? Come on, everybody say amen to that. Because that's such good news. <laughs> now, this is why a lot of people cannot grasp goodness of God. They can't grasp God's goodness. It's because they can't see his love. They struggle with, how can God be so good to me? 
how can God do this? Because you would not do that for someone else that has treated you like you've treated God. Now, I know what I do to somebody who treat me like I treat God. And I can't fathom God just loving me like this and being this good to me. I mean, when you know you deserve to be burnt to a crisp. Right? And God just pours his goodness on you. Come on, am I right? That is amazing. That is amazing. And so this is love. Please understand love from this perspective. Get a, get a revelation of how much you... So how do you get this revelation? Just, just nurture yourself in it. Just meditate it. Just, just ponder on it. Just, just spend the next seven days thinking about, God, how much do you love me? Just do that. And find some supporting, I'm giving it to you today, some supporting scripture. First John 5 is a great place, 4 and 5 is a great place to rest in if you want to grasp the love of God for you, okay? And it'll just change your mind. And he sent his son, Jesus is his example, and he sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. The word propitiation means simply substitute. So Jesus substituted for you in sin. So when it came time to pay the price for sin, Jesus took your place. He substituted for you. And so once you get that, you can begin to understand the goodness of God toward you. The goodness of God toward you. So three keys to operating in the goodness of God. Number one, develop your capacity to believe it. Number two, embrace his love for you. Number three, Decree his goodness from your mouth. But you can't do number three until you do number two and number one. You know how hard it is to say, God's good to me, when you don't believe it? And when you're not conscious of his love for you, it's hard for you to say that. Because we're, we live in such a, a culture, even in church, well, we're taught somehow that God is punitive, that God punishes, and he doesn't. Not anymore. Not since Jesus. He don't have to. He's through that. See, I can tell right now. Some of y'all got like, I think God will punish you. No, he's not in the punishing business. You punish yourself. But God is not, his agenda is not to punish. I, I know you can find scripture and all this and all talk about whatever, whatever. But this is what I'm saying. Nothing will override his love for you. He has determined that before you enter into a place of damnation, that you have every opportunity to receive his love. And that if any man goes to hell, God didn't send, send him. He sent himself. Hell was never created for man. God created hell for the devil and his angels. He never intended on anybody going here. The Bible completely says that it's the will of God that all men be saved. Okay? So you have to declare God's goodness from your mouth, creating an attitude Required for his goodness to function. So Job 22 and 28. 
Job 22, 28. This scripture speaks about decreeing, and this is one we're familiar with. He says, and you shall decree a thing, and whatever you decree shall be, what? Established unto you. What does that sound like? You get what you say. The word established means it shall become a common occurrence. It shall become a common occurrence. So whatever you speak as a way of life, whatever you speak as a lifestyle becomes a common occurrence for you. So you can look around your life right now. Just look at your life right now. Look at, look at your relationships right now. They only reflect what you've spoken. Okay? Now I know some people in denial right now, but, but your relationships only, re- only reflect what you have spoken based on your heart, what you believe. And, and your world, whatever that means, your house, your, your work environment, your, your, your income, your, your rate of success, all these things only are going to obey the content of your heart, which is spoken and decreed by your mouth. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what am I saying? You're decreeing your destiny. You shall decree a thing and it shall be established unto you. Go to Proverbs 18 and 21, please. The Bible talks about what's coming from the content of the heart through the mouth dictates the landscape of your life. It says death and life or where? In the power of the tongue. Why is that? Because the tongue is an instrument of the heart. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the tongue is an instrument of the heart. Okay? So death and life. Or you can say death or life or both. If they're coming, it's coming from within. And they who love it or they who, who are consumed and, per, and in pursuit of it, those who practice it, those who are immersed in it, in other words, whichever you are immersed in, death talk or life talk, you will eat the fruit of whatever talk you talk. So if you want to eat the fruit of God's goodness in your life, you got to talk goodness. You got to talk his goodness. Talk his goodness. God is good to me. Well, now, you know, you never know what might happen. This might happen. No, God's good to me. See, don't buy into the expectation of people's demise. Don't buy into people's negative expectations of your life. The only reason why somebody will have a negative expectation for you is because they have a negative expectation for themselves. Okay? So you never have to buy into somebody's negativity. Dad, we're getting married. Well, I don't know. You think you want to do that? Well, I believe it's time. Well, I don't know. Boy, everybody getting divorced. Well, thank you, Dad. I appreciate that. You follow what I'm saying? I think I'm going to buy a new house. Oh, I don't know. This is not the right time to buy a house. What that got to do with it? If God says it's time, it's time. Yeah. Well, the price, you know, man, it ain't got to do with nothing. What that got to do with it? See, so when you're following God, you have to go with an expectation for things to work, for things to succeed, for things to prosper. If you understand that, give the Lord praise. All right, so what are you going to do? Three things you're going to do. You're going to build your capacity to believe goodness. 
You're going to build your capacity to believe in the goodness of God by meditating. You're going to embrace his love for you. And you're going to speak goodness. Even when things don't look good, you're going to speak the goodness of God. All right? You're going to speak the goodness of God. And so let's go to Psalms 91 and look at how you can do that. Psalms 91. Let's just take this for an example. Psalms 91. Let's just for fun. I, I, hate, I almost don't want to say that. But for fun, let's go to the Message Bible. It's just... The message Bible intrigues me. You have to watch it, though, sometimes. It says, you who sit down at, in the high God's presence, spend the night in Shaddai's shadow. Say this, God, you are my refuge. See, he's telling you how to walk in the goodness of God. He's telling you what to say. Say this. Not, not what you feel. Not what you think. Okay? Because trouble could be knocking at the door. All right? You might be under the pressure of some threat of some, of some kind. But he says, say this. God, you are my refuge. I trust in you and I'm safe. Wow. Why? Because God is good like that. Next verse. <clears throat> That's right. He rescues you from hidden traps. He shields you from deadly hazards. His huge outstretched arms protect you under them. You're perfectly safe. His arms fend off all harm. Now go back to verse 3. Let me show you how to put this in practice. Father, I thank you that you rescue me from hidden traps things I don't even know that's coming. That you shield me from deadly hazards. Keep going. Come on, keep up with me. And your huge outstretched arms protect me. And under your arms, I'm perfectly safe. Your arms fend off all harm to me. Okay. I fear nothing, not wild wolves in the night, that's a burglar, not flying arrows in the day, I don't know what that is, not disease that prowls through the darkness, that's all kind of disease stuff going around, uh, you know, whether it, be, whether it be whatever it is, not disaster that erupts at high noon, no terrorism, no tornado, no hurricane, no... Even though others succumbed all around, drop like flies right and left, but no harm will even graze me. Now see, this stuff is hard to say if you don't believe it. It is in the Bible. But if you don't practice expanding your capacity to believe it and practice the confession, it's hard to say. And this is where a lot of Christians are. They won't say this stuff because they, yeah, but you know, you know, because they think that they're deserving of all the, the, the tragedies and the, all the stuff because of what they're doing, you see. And they can't get over into 
the love of God and operate in the goodness of God because they think God is dealing with them based on what they deserve. But Psalms 103 clearly tells you, God says, I'm not going to deal with you according to what you deserve. God has predetermined and predecided to be good to you and wait for you to receive his goodness. Let's go to Psalms 103 for just a second. Let me see if I can find it. And we're going to come back to Psalms 91. While we're going there, just say, God is good. good. Say, he's good to me. me. And say, I'm good to him. Go to verse 8, please, in the message. It says, God is sheer mercy. He is sheer grace. He's not easily angered. He's rich in love. Next verse. He doesn't endlessly nag and scold, nor does he hold grudges forever. He doesn't treat us. Here we go. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, nor does he pay us back in full for our wrongs. As high as heaven is over the earth, so strong is his love to those who fear him. That word fear means to honor, reverence, and respect him. Okay? And as far as the sunrise is from the sunset, he has separated us from our sins. Now, wait, wait, go back to that. See, this we read too fast. How far is the sunrise from the sunset? That's how far he has separated you from your sins. The King James says, as far as the east, the sunrise, from the west, the sunset. That's how far he separated you from your sins. Now, what is unique about that is that East and West is infinitely separated. There is never a point of meeting between East and West. If you go East, you can go East till you go to heaven. If you go West, you can go West. No, I meant not literally walk to heaven. I mean die, you know, tra- you know, transition. You can go East until your days are over because you'll never meet up with West going East. You'll never meet up with East going West. You can go north and meet up with south. That's why he didn't say north and south. He said east and west. Because east and west were infinitely apart. They don't meet. Neither does your sin and you in him. Once you're in him, you and your sins will never meet again. I don't know about you. That's good news to me. That helps me. That helps me. That helps me be what God has created me to be. That helps me not get bogged down in condemnation and guilt and fear. That doesn't license me to do whatever I want. Because once you get over into this, you're more aware of wrongdoing. And, and you are out of your nature. You're out of your character. And, 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 and you know the consequences that it can bring into your life. But God is in the business of getting you over into this place because he knows the high levels of functionality are in this place. 
of his goodness. Your peak performance is in this place. You becoming aware of your true identity is in this place. You knowing who you are, what you were created to do, what you were created to be is over here in this place of goodness, in the goodness of God. Now go back to Psalms 91, please, in verse 7. Are you learning anything? You getting anything? Psalms 91, verse 7 in the Message Bible. It says, even though others succumb all around, drop like flies right and left, no harm will even graze you. Next verse. You'll stand untouched. Watch it all from a distance. You'll watch the wicked turn into corpses. Go back to that, please. So this is why I say the devil can't touch me. See, people don't like to say that. Well, you know, well, he touched Job, but that was Job. This Norman Thomas in Jesus. And he can't touch me. You don't ever worry about the plane falling when you try on. No, I don't worry about that. I don't even think about it. Why would I think about the plane falling? Why would I think about that? And I got to get on it. Why don't I just think about the plane landing and reaching its destination? Right? That's a really dumb question. All right, next verse. Yes, because God's your refuge. God, yes, you're my refuge. You're the high God. You're my very own home. Evil can't even get close to me. Harm can't even get through the door. You ordered your angels to guard me. Wherever I go. Evil can't get close to me. Harm can't get through the door. If I stumble, the angels going to catch me. Their job is to keep me from falling. I walk unharmed among lions and snakes. That don't mean go pick up snakes. That don't mean go jump in a lion's cage at the zoo. And then you'll be on the evening news. Okay? It's, it's symbolic. Okay? Now, that, what this means is people that are out to devour you. Systems that are out to, to slide into your life and deceive you. He says, no, you'll walk unharmed among those who are, who, are, who are building traps for you. And you'll walk right through their traps and won't even be touched. You'll kick the young lions and serpents from the path. Keep going. And if I hold on to you, no, you hold on to me for dear life. I'll hold on to you. No, no. Now, this is how you do it, though. This is this process. Because you're, you're, you're bringing this in. So God says, if, Lord, you said, if I hold on to you for dear life, I get out of any trouble. Don't matter what it is. Don't matter where it come from. Don't matter who sent it. Don't even matter if it's my fault. There are no conditions on this. You'll get me out of trouble. So, Father, I'm thanking you right now that I'm getting out of this trouble. I'll give you, you, you said that you would give me the best care if I'll only get to know you, if I only get to trust you. 
Isn't this awesome? You told me to call to you and that you'll answer. So I call to you right now. I receive your answer. You don't say, Lord, I'm waiting. When are you going to answer me, Lord? No, that's not how you do it. Father, I receive your answer as I call unto you right now. You, you're at my side in bad times. You said that you would rescue me. I receive your rescue. And then throw me a party. How many of you are ready to party? What is that? That's victory. The party is victory. If you have enjoyed this time with Dr. Thomas, visit us online at normanthomas.org for more extended versions of these teachings. You may also learn where Dr. Thomas will be speaking at a location near you. Until next time, keep walking by faith.